is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. In order to move beyond the world we've always known and explore the possibilities that are always available, it is critical that we learn to approach new information with an open mind. While this is not a revolutionary new insight, the plain and simple fact is that most people have a difficult time when it comes to being genuinely open-minded, writes Jeff Maziarek. Jeff is the author of Spirituality Simplified, a book intended to serve as a starting point for anyone with a sincere desire to pursue a path of personal and or spiritual growth. Jeff Maziarek is also the author of Cody's Journey, a personal memoir about his border collie Cody, who passed away in 2005. Jeff operates a free daily inspirational message website, foundercenter.com. Here is the interview with Jeff Maziarek. In your own words, who is Jeff Maziarek? Wow, that is something to ponder upon. I guess you could use a bunch of different labels, but I think that in the grand scheme of things, I'm just like a star that burst on the scene living in a parentheses of time that gets to experience both the joys and the sorrows of living and add mileage to my soul in terms of experience because it didn't come here to just sit around. (laughs) I like that. Thank you. My first question to you is actually about three questions in one. Um, Is fear an illusion? Is hate an illusion? And if he asks, 
How? I'll tell you what, from a definitional point of view, from all the metaphysical literature, you know, fall, fear, false evidence appearing real, these kind of things, intellectually, yes, it's an illusion. When you come to live in the world of form that we live in, in a physical body, it, it becomes very real when your body reacts based upon how it's been programmed consciously and unconsciously over the life that you've lived that when you feel physical symptoms, it sure as heck does not feel like an illusion, now does it? So fear and what was the other, I'm sorry? Um, hate. Is hate an illusion? Again, in physical form, I don't think it really is an illusion because of how we see people behave. In the end, it's all individually generated. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with A Course in Miracles, Yes. Uh, okay, so there's there's many, many wonderful quotes from that book. And one of them is, there is no world. It's just a mass hallucination on everybody's <laughs> part. Everyone's individual projection based upon their experience. And it puts it out in the world of who they are and it mirrors back to them. Hate is something that's taught. You don't get born with it. As, as you know, this is not radical information. You clearly don't get born with it. Somebody, sometimes uh, well-meaning perhaps, teaches you this. But in the end, I, I don't go with the esoteric concept that, you know, they're all illusions. I mean, from a grandiose, higher level spiritual perspective, perhaps, but in the world of form that we live in, the bump, bumping up against each other, like in a, you know, whatever, in a, in a pinball game, for God's sake, it's very real in the moment, you know? I mean, it's, and so that's where awareness comes in. The, the more you become aware of who you really are as an essence of God, if you will, then you start to look at everything differently. And But it is a practice. It is a day-to-day, moment-to-moment practice. What is real to you? <laughs> so, subject to interpretation, I suppose, by anybody. You know, what's, what's real for me isn't necessarily something that I can put my hands on. It's a feeling I have about something. Yeah. So from all these feelings and emotions or whatever we call it, uh, which ones really resonate with, with you like as being real? Well, I mean, I think that you know, it's cliche, but I mean, love, that feeling, that warm feeling inside, that inner smile that comes when it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just a certain joy that emanates. That's probably only the only pure essence, if you will, you know, of God manifests. The rest is manufactured through whatever means. I mean, I'm certainly not a sage or a mystic. I think the rest of it is is certainly programmed. It's, again, well-meaning or not, we become how we are influenced young, and then we take on these attitudes and beliefs, and we have these emotions. I don't think that you can just dismiss. I mean, they're there, like you know, I mentioned earlier. I mean, you know, hey, in a world of form, these things are happening. But I mean, the, yeah, it's cliche, maybe, but it is true. The essence is joy, maybe joy and love, you know, the purity of it. The rest of it, you know, you kind of don't have to look at it this way. You don't have to think your way into love or joy as much as they just come upon you. Whereas with fear and, and the rest of the negativity and hate, that that's something that you have to make effort thinking about, really. Yes, in a way, right. If it's not connected to danger, right, to real danger. So since you talked about love, can you elaborate a bit more about love? Like, what is your definition of love? 
Well, there's so many. I mean, in my book, I and I actually haven't looked at my book for so long. I don't remember what I wrote, but uh, you know, the whole idea of love being different types of love, right? Friend love, country love, uh, romantic love, these kind of things. I think love is okay. Love is this is really esoteric, but <laughs> looking out, I'm looking out my back window. Okay, we have a we have a lilac bush. Ever, I actually own the house, or we own the house that I grew up in as a child. I bought it from my mother. And this bush has been here since I was very little. And every spring, it, the lilacs come. And that's love. Love is uh, no questioning anything. The lilac knows its purpose. The bush grows to flower. There's just a purity of it. It's not again, thinking one's way into it or something like that. It's God manifest. It's the way the leaves pop on the trees in the spring. It's the way the animals, you know, do their thing. I mean, that's the love. I mean, I, I find it, and maybe we, I don't want to go too far into this, but I, I want to say this. Uh, one of the things that I wrote about, and I do remember this in my book, is this this idea of the myth of romantic love, that there's this, you know, one person that's going to complete you and this soulmate and all the rest of that stuff that's part of the culture. I don't think that's really love. That's an idea. And real love between people who stay together a long time is really mutual respect and friendship and and commonality on values and, and a belief in the two of them together are individuals who gain benefit from this idea of a base camp of love, if you will, uh, of that respect and of that friendship. But I don't know if I've gone into an area that's off of what you were asking about. No, so. I think it's all connected. Yeah, the way I, I would say, because you're talking about people coming together, perhaps with the idea of love, but with the purpose of spiritual growth, perhaps. I agree. I mean, I remember a song once in the 60s or so, love is just a word I've heard when things are being said. And I just, I look at things, I mean, okay, when I was growing up, I saw, I mean, I was, my mother taught me. God rest her soul, and she had good intentions. Oh, you'll just know when you love someone. It's like, well, oh, what happens when you see five people and you feel the same way? You know? Oh no, uh, not a good idea. Right? Right? Yeah. Right. I mean, no, that's not what it is. I mean, that's chemical. That's how. I mean, I think in the Road Less Traveled, Scott Peck, uh, classic book, he talks about how you know, real relationships aren't based upon that chemical thing. It's really based upon shared values and mutual respect and common interests. And that's what it that's what makes successful relationships. But to but what you see in our mainstream culture all the time, and it's not changed in 40 years, is you know, that that person is going to complete you, or that if you don't have a relationship, then you don't, you know, and all of that is disempowering. It's not when you're in a situation like that, you're you're leaning in. And when you lean in, somebody leans out. You can't make it that important. As soon as you make having someone else more in your life more important, you're now going to attract the wrong people because the needy energy is going to suck in. You know, not, not that needy. Your needy energy is going to draw in people who are going to take advantage of your neediness, shall we say. But I digress anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what is spirituality and how is it different from religion? Spirituality, I, th I believe, is just, I'm not, I believe, I feel and I know in my heart is more of a, of, a, of, a, of a personal thing. It's a search, if you will, an ongoing search for meaning in one's life by continually 
reading, uh, interacting with people that are, on, you know, in a similar path, if you will, and being open to the point that you don't know what's true, or, you know, who decides what is true and what is not true. Another song that comes to mind from Todd Rundgren, a, a rocker in the 60s who still performs today. Who decides what is true and what is not true? We do. You and I. We decide. You know, with that with that in mind, now I now with that wonderful segue, I forgot the original question. The definition of spirituality and how is it different from religion? Right. So you know, we decide what's true on a spiritual path. You collect information and you refine it and refine it and you experience your life. You put some things into practice. Some things work in a way that you, that please you. In other ways, nah, that doesn't quite explain it. And you never get rigid about it. You don't say, okay, this is the my way or hit the highway. I'm never going to change my mind. Religion is a simple dogma. And I used to be, um, and, and this is no indictment of anybody who participates in it. I used to work, uh, I'd be a part of the Catholic faith. I don't, I haven't done that for like 30 years. I don't denigrate it. I, I just, it's just not for me. It's, it becomes a, this is a set of rules. If you follow this, you get to go to this place, a good place. And if you don't follow this, you go to a bad place. Uh, religion is more like it's, it's good because it compartmentalizes everything and puts everything in nice little boxes. And it means that people who are busy in the world don't have to think as much about, they just say, this is, this is what's true. I know this is true. And you can see it everywhere because people do things like blow themselves up for it, that they actually believe it's so true that they're willing to do these kind of things. Spirituality is a different path. It's a, I'm going to discover my truth. And my truth is individual to me, no matter how many people agree or disagree with it. And it's a constant process. It's not like, okay, I got it. Mm -hmm. I got it. I know what's true. No, because I'll tell you what, some of the stuff I wrote about in my first book, uh, which is, you know, back in 99 to 2002, I don't know that I think the same way anymore. I mean, not like radically different, but that there's been nuances, subtleties, things have changed, more information has come in. And that's why it's so important to be open-minded and, and not just accept something as an absolute truth, like a book that was written. Oh, yeah, the book's got some good information in it. The What's that called? The Bible. But, you know, there's some aspects of it that are incongruent. And, and so to just say that that's truth and close the door on it, I don't know. That I just, that's for me. I'm speaking only personally. For the seeker, that's not good enough. It's like, no, I need, I need to know more as I refine my ideas of what the world is, the cosmos, and, and, and me, myself. Interesting that you, you mentioned that religion might be a, a path for those who don't want to think or too busy. Um, do you think that going on the spiritual path, it's harder than being religious? Uh, I think it demands more of us. It demands more in the sense that it's also like walking on a tight wire, and if you will, you know, tightrope, whatever, that you don't have all the answers. You're open and you're discovering all the time. And so I, I want to just clarify, I'm not saying that people 
who are in religions don't want to think as much, you know, I don't want to make that sound in a, in a kind of a negative vein. It's more of a case of it's more comfortable to make the decision to accept something as 100% true with, and, and just live one's life. Because when you get into the areas of spirituality where there's no set path and no absolute anything, it can become unnerving. So is it more difficult? Uh, I think it's just a, a, a challenging, more challenging path. I don't like the word difficult because it implies something negative. Challenge has a more positive ring to it, if you will. Yes, yeah, it makes sense to me. In your book, Spirituality Simplified, you talk about a lot of things, and I have not read the entire book. The title suggests that we can simplify spirituality. Is that possible? You know, that's a good question. I, to give you some history on the title, I mean, it's in essence, the book was written because I had started on this path in the early 90s after I experienced a very significant financial career like setback. It was it was a really dark time of life. Began to question everything, and you know what was the point? And and so then I started everything. What was the teacher? You know that saying when the when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm-hmm. Yes. So of all things, I was at a dance club, and some woman who my brother met from a business meeting uh, was there. My brother stopped in, introduced me to this Carol. And Carol started talking to me about stuff I had never even considered and said, oh, you should read this book. You can have it all by Arnold Patent. Now, this is before the business setback. But the point is, that's kind of what got me started is this whole investigation thing of looking deeper. But then once the I don't like the word failure because it's a result, as Wayne Dyer once said. I mean, it's failure is it, to fail is is a verb. A failure is a noun, and nothing is a failure. It's an experience. With that in mind, once I went through the the business setback, then I had had all of this knowledge of of this desire to learn more and more and more about spiritual growth and personal you know personal growth and and techniques and tools and whatever so that I wouldn't create another thing like I created unconsciously this you know setback and so when I got through the process of reading all this stuff and continuing to read it it just occurred to me there was no initial book there was no first book where someone would go Oh, what can I learn about spirituality you know where can I get you know kind of an introduction that points me as a roadmap to where I can learn more about these elements of this subject matter. And so as a former marketing guy in the PC business back in the 80s, I just thought, oh, that's a good positioning. You know, hey, spirituality, what do I know? Spirituality, what? Spiritual, uh, spirits, uh, I, I had a different name initially. I forget what it was. Uh, oh, yeah, spirituality made simple. But the reality is, is it's kind of a misnomer because it's not necessarily simple. But the definition of the book itself was to try and simplify the process of the search, if right. you will. Yes. And and so that's really the thing. I, I don't think that there's anything simple about spirituality. There's no, it's not like that dogma that says, oh, here, here's your truth, like we have, you know, referenced earlier. It's really a process of constant learning and refining one's philosophy that will last if you stay on the path. And once you're on it, it's like virtually impossible to get off, you know, your whole life, because you may not feel the same way 10 years from now that you did, that you do today. Right. Yes. Right. What it was like for you to experience the spiritual growth? What were the signs 
that you had grown spiritually? When I got, I think once I realized, I don't, I'm trying to think if there was a book. There's just so many that I've read and I've done this website, uh, pondercentral.com for, I don't know, 12 years, but also I was doing manually emails before that, which just a daily message from a book here as I look to my right on my shelf. I don't know. I think that I I, I would have to have more time to really think about that. I, 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 I got a sense that probably the most important book that I ever read early on was one of Dyer's works uh, called You'll See It When You Believe It or No, I forget <laughs> which one is it. it. You'll believe it when you... No, no, you'll see it when you believe it as opposed to you'll believe it when you see it. And I think that what the initial... I guess I was always under the impression before that woman recommended this first book that I ever read, You Can Have It All by Arnold Patton. I was only under the impression that life was done unto us in some, expe- in some respects and that we make everything happen. We have to pound on every door. And then the spirituality really crystallized for me. The point is, is that it doesn't have to be that hard, that we have to become more aware of ourselves as powerful creators. And I could look at, you know, conversations with God. I mean, I, I thought the book one by Neil Donald Walsh was really pivotal for me. Um, this idea that you're not some lowly peasant person, you know, it should be, you know, be slapped down for your sins and all this stuff, but rather, what if God is, like Wayne Dyer, I think, to paraphrase, what if God is universal intelligence and pure love flowing through all of its creations instead of some dead white male in heaven that you, you know, prost- get on the knees to, right? I mean, so... There was also one other piece is that the dire work that you'll see it when you believe was really pivotal in in my life because it taught me about there was a whole chapter, chapter nine called forgiveness that uh, really just opened my mind to this whole idea that you don't need to really forgive anybody. You just simply need to drop your illusions about what happened, you know, that you played a role that at some level, unconsciously or consciously, you create your reality. More often than not in our world, it's unconscious because of how we're programmed when we're young. But when we accept this responsibility that we create our lives and people say, wait a minute, I didn't choose that. I would never have done that. But you ran energy. Nothing's happenstance. The universe is in perfect balance. If people come to you, it's because there is a lesson for you to learn or for you to share with them. There is no, oh, whimsical. Oh, this just happened. It's not fair. No, it's everything is purpose like that. What is to make enlightened choices, Jeff? Well, I think you have to filter it through more than that. It's just about me. And an enlightened choice is collecting the information, okay, and how does it, you know, how does, what? okay, I think I have this on my Twitter account. I don't remember. Something to the effect of, I wrote a blog post about it once that, you know, before you share anything with anybody in the world, ask yourself, how does anyone benefit from this? So I think enlightened choices are meant, are re- really means to me that you're making the choices as more than just one person. I'm not talking about which restaurant are you going to go to? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about life, life choices, you know, but... But that there's a bigger picture afoot here, and um, to be to an enlightened choice is one with made all all kinds of practical information. But in the end, there's still this kind of sense that I think universe is always, or God, if you will, is always giving us the the heart is the one that knows. I think we've all read that. It the heart knows the mind. 
goes through all of its gyrations. But you'll generally feel, you know, in the pit of your stomach or in your heart when you're making the right choice for you in any given moment, because you're not having to talk yourself into it. And, and you're not running fear on both sides, you know, what if this, what if that, you know, but it just comes almost like organically, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense, yeah. What is to experience a spiritual canine connection, a spiritual connection with animals? <laughs> well, yeah, that kind of that ties into a little bit to my uh, second book uh, that I wrote about our dog. Uh, her name was Cody. And uh, a couple of friends of mine said to me, you know, you should write a book about your experiences with Cody. I think that what what I gathered in answer to your question, animals to me, I once read something that said, let's say just for grins that there are past lives that we've led. And that some, I mean, you want to take that really deep. Some say everything's happening all at one time anyway, so that the past is happening on different dimensions in the future. Every year, you know, you could be living on 10 timelines. You may have read some of that stuff. Well, to, to simplify it down to, okay, what is this, you know, the spirit? spiritual connection with the animal. It's to get the awareness that unlike us, who, let's say, again, if we were having another lifetime now, uh, and, we, and we don't know what others were, but that they did exist, but we just don't know. We're, we're veiled, I've heard this term. We're veiled, so we don't know, because if we knew, then we would, you know, that would take all of the uh, challenge, the learning. It would be like, yeah, man, I know, uh, yeah, I know who I really am. Well, I've read, and I believe this is true, that animals are not veiled. They, they may not be able to speak the way we do. They don't analyze intellectually, but they come from the heart at all times. And I think a spiritual connection with an animal is a natural thing. It's, it's a de facto thing. Look at the dog that sees the owner come home. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Our dogs used to be nuts about that kind of thing. Um, and look at even the cat that's normally, you know, so put offish or standoffish, whatever. They, you know, there's still that connection of curling around your leg or whatever. But that's more the physical. I think from a spiritual point of view, what I learned from Cody's journey in writing is that I had probably, I don't know, if, that's on the website, but I don't know if you had looked at it all because you have a lot to do to prepare for these. I actually hired an animal communicator three times during Cody's final year of life. And um, people could automatically dismiss that. I know one person once said, what are you, nuts? It's like, well, depends how open-minded you are, you know? We wanted to know how the dog was feeling because she was diagnosed with something really bad and there was really nothing they could do to help her. So we wanted to know. And so I dealt with this woman. And, and those conversations, as I talked with her on the phone as she was, call it, you know, channeling to Cody or whatever, were just fascinating to me. They convinced me, and this is my little hallucination of my life, that the animals are, are really aware and they're spiritual teachers, every one of them, and that they come and they help balance energy on the planet. And when they're in your house, they bring you the purest form of love that you'll ever get in your life, other than God's love itself, which comes in through your crown chakra every day, but you just don't realize it, right? Yeah, and there's no doubt in my mind animals are sentient beings. Look at look at how they, they help each other. Like there's one video I saw on Facebook of, you know, an animal, one of its companions had gotten hit by a car and it stayed in the middle of the street until somebody stopped and helped. The other one did. That's not instinct. There's something going on there, right? Right, yeah. That takes being open-minded to make these observations that you have made because it's easy to just um, kind of think that they are wired 
to survive, that survival instincts. They will always be very loyal and attached to anyone who takes care of them. And that's my next question. What is to be open-minded? Well, it means to say, to admit that you don't know everything. You know, and I think the recently, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago. No, it was more. Several years ago, I had a conversation with an author in England that I met through a, a woman who worked at a publishing house. And this guy's really cool. He wrote a nice book and we were talking and, and he said something to me that I thought was really profound. And, you know, maybe he read it somewhere or whatever, but the more I learn, the less I know. And, and I think that that's, that's really the case is coming to that. What the world sorely lacks are a lot of things, okay? One of them to me is humility, is the not knowing. You know, I mean, there's a spiritual teacher I quote most in my first book. He's a Catholic priest by the name of Father Anthony DeMello. He wrote many books, some of which were banned by the Vatican, which I thought was cool. And uh, Anthony DeMello, I, I could go on about him all day. He said, I remember this distinctly, he said, you know, what if you just say you don't know? Everybody has ideas about God from religious texts or whatever. You know, how about just saying you don't know and, <laughs> and, and, and say, you know, it's a mystery. How about that? I mean, St. Thomas Aquinas once said something to the effect of the best way to know God is not to listen to God concepts, because unless you've had a personal meeting with the deity, you don't know. And anything you read, that's only someone else's interpretation of it. How, how about just being humble? I don't know. I just do the best I can. I collect information. I am assembling my life's philosophy. How about that? <laughs> Not, hey, this is the way it is. I'm telling you, this is the way it is. You don't know. Be humble, for God's sake, too. And even in the spirituality world of the so-called thought leaders who, you know, oh, go to that person's work because they know. They don't know either. <laughs> They don't know either, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I just know what I'm sharing with you and it's works. And I'm continually evolving every day and doing my best not to project my reality onto what the reality of the whole is. I don't know. But it's important, I think, to share what we do know. And those people that are drawn to it or can benefit from it, great. And if they feel annoyed by it, it's because they're running a program that doesn't agree with it. <laughs> That's great. I just like the humility thing because, you know, I just, you see it everywhere. You see, I could dig here on the PC to the, the mellow quote, I'll send it to you is, is just phenomenal. It's like, you know, Hey, just, you don't know, you know what you know. That's not everything. Be humble. The more I learn, the less I know. How about that? I like that personally. Yeah. Um, it makes sense to me. I would say, yeah, we, we know some things, but I believe that we should always be open to understand what we know. It's about refining what we know by being open-minded. Um, I use my, they call it intuition. I'm going to ask you about what intuition is, because not even, I don't know what that is exactly. I just know that some things m make more sense than others, like connecting with others deeply, truthfully, this idea of love, kindness, compassion, this all makes sense to me. So we do know some things, but I think our job is just to understand what we know, refine it, and then apply it. Being humble, it's definitely part of it. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, look around, look around at the world, you know, I mean, going back to the humility thing, it's like, you know, you know why I get jazzed about this, Larry, is because when I was in my 20, when I was in my 20s, I was so full of fill in the blank, because I thought I knew everything. And because I was so smart, and blah, 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 you know, and, and it really was insecurity. And so when you see anybody saying in the world, I'm the best there is, it's like, they don't believe it. Because if they did, they wouldn't have to say it, you know, but tangent. I know <laughs> to me, open to me, open mindedness is taking that gap and saying before, because your mind's going to jump to judgment right away. I mean, you can still have your judgments, but I think Stuart Wilde, one of my favorite authors of all time, he said, understand that you're going to judge all the time, every day, because that's the nature of the mind. The mind compares this to that. Now, there's a difference between judgment, which is laced with emotion, and evaluation, looking at something and saying, ah, you know, let's keep it unemotional, look at the yeas and nays, and make a decision for yourself. But the judgment is is completely, it's not mandatory. It's added layer of emotion on top of it. Um, and this is why I keep you know, hammering on the humility thing is, is if you have genuine humility and not everybody has, I'm not saying I'm 100% humble by any means, but if you have a, an effort to be that, then you can't sit there and, and editorialize about everybody's life without having a terrible feeling in your stomach. Open-mindedness is taking that gap and saying, well, well I don't really know what it's like to be that person. I don't agree with what they're doing, evaluating, not judging. I don't agree. But, you know, I'm not going to get all jazzed about it and, and emotional and uh, shouldn't be that way. You know what? I remember Wayne Dyer once said, should is a meaningless word in a reality-only culture. Because if should ha- if it should have happened, what? It would have happened, for God's sake. <laughs> yes, so true. <laughs> I, he should have done that. No. He didn't, you know, uh, he, he didn't. So, I mean, to me, open-minded, am I still closed-minded on certain things? Yeah, I'll admit it. I'm, I wrote a chapter on open-mindedness, but yeah, I'm closed-minded on hate. I'm closed-minded on on religious separation. I'm closed-minded on war. I'm closed-minded on judging people by the color of their skin and by the languages that they speak and by the religions that they, you know, adopt. I'm closed-minded on all that stuff. It's really hard for me to, <laughs> this, is the, this is the emotional me coming out. It's really challenging for me to, to deal with that and not feel almost just sad. This isn't an analysis of Jeff's session, so we'll, <laughs> we'll go ahead. No, it, it is really hard when you see that separation, right? It was something that creates separation, uh, systems and yeah, religion. Talking about the judgment and all that, what is intuition to you? Well, it's something that women seem to definitely, <laughs> I mean, that, that old saying about women's intuition, I think it's, I mean, I don't want to make it male, female, you know, sexist kind of thing. I think that the that males are more inclined to be more analytical, but then there's a whole segment of the male population that are creatives that are not. So I think it really kind of depends upon what your archetype is uh, overall, like how you how how you are, whatever your soul chose is that. Like for me, I've always been super left brain analytical. So for me, my intuition isn't as strong as I would like it to be. Then you look at my wife, who just knows things, and <laughs> and, yeah, and, right. she's, and she's not here right now. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not. I, and after 28 years of marriage, I'm not. I don't need to, you know, brown nose her at all. I mean, the reality is is she's right most of the time. I would say high 90s because she's operating from the heart and filtering it through the chest 
you know, center of her chest where her heart is instead of through her head like me. So I think in, intuition to me is really heart-centered as, as far instead of mind-centered. And I don't like the word struggle because it implies difficulty. I just say that's one of my challenges is to be, to tune into that better. Is it possible to live without beliefs? I don't think so. But, you know, you could ask that of a sage in India or someplace and they'd say, absolutely. For me personally, I, I don't know. I think that once you're a child and start growing up, you are subject to all kinds of information. And those, most of them are beliefs that were handed down. I think DeMello wrote about it saying that, you know, most of what goes through your mind is, is you know, if you stop and analyze, is that grandma talking or is that mom or is that uh, Larry King, you know, or, or whatever, right? So I don't think you can be non-belief, but the danger of belief, and DeMello wrote about this and spoke about it, is that all of a sudden then you'll have someone who doesn't have any personal experience about a particular thing being told that this is what's true and that they'll go out then and kill themselves and a bunch of other people on behalf of an idea that was not an original thought of their own. Uh, so beliefs are dangerous and we have to question, I think on the spiritual path, we have to question them all the time and and always in that reevaluation mode. And, and people might say, well, then how do you ever have a firm footing? It's like, well, you kind of don't, but that's the magic of it, yes, right? Yes, right, the magic. There's something about the mystery that's so wonderful. Just not like you, you have been saying, not knowing or being humble, just embracing the mystery of all. What is the difference between praying and meditating? I have a, an author friend of mine named uh, Pete Kerner who wrote a book called The Belief Formula uh, back in the late, I don't know, 2008 or something like that. You know, praying is can have the connotation because there's no one answer to that. Um, can have more like that flavor of supplicating to some entity, the dead white male in heaven, for example, to please give us something. Whereas, you know, meditation is more of a, well, I mean, you've heard this before, I'm sure. Praying is speaking, meditating is listening. Mm -hmm. You know, we do a lot of speaking to God. Hey, 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 buddy, can you do me a favor, you know, or saying formal prayers or whatever. But meditating is more the listening and not more. It's totally the listening. Now, now the other side, there isn't a little caveat to that, though, that is that, you know, based upon the works of, you know, Bruce Lipton, for example, in the biology of belief, this idea that the subconscious mind is programmed early and then those old programs stay in there pretty deep, you know, very deep the whole life. And the only way to overcome them is to actually repeating, 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 repeating. So that's where affirmations come in and people say, well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, maybe you just didn't do it long enough or you had too much attachment to it, right? Practicing, yeah. What is the difference between consciousness and awareness? You know, that's above <laughs> my pay grade, I think. For me, well, okay, let, I'll try. Consciousness is the is the pure essence of life itself that flows through all things. The lilac bush outside the window here actually is a conscious being. The trees in my yard, uh, many of whom have been here since I was a child, they have awareness for sure. And in fact, I read something just the other day that was really cool. It said that trees, the consciousness within trees communicates they communicate with each other through their root systems, almost like synapses in human brains. So where the roots of this maple tree over there that I'm looking at, okay, that root has something to say to the maple next to it. It communicates across that gap 
in the root system to that tree, whatever. I don't know what it's saying, but the bottom line is, is that consciousness is moving through all things like that. Awareness is more, I think, in the context of the human being that's aware of having consciousness, if you will, or or being the I that, you know, awareness of the I that is me. It's it's the me, you know, it's like when you say, God, my mind's driving me crazy today. It's like, well, who's saying that? You know, awareness is that constant that you develop this skill for. And it's and it's not easy every day. You know, it's not like you got to think about it. But more and more of the that witnessing perspective of oh, huh, there I'm getting upset. Uh, oh, there she said that, and I'm getting upset. Or I don't agree with that. And uh, and being aware, awareness is more of an active human thing, maybe. Whereas consciousness is just a pure flowing through all of the pieces of God that we are, if you will. That makes sense. What you said, Jeff, yeah, to me resonates. What are thoughts? <laughs> you know, no, why am I saying that? When I'm searching for something, I probably use that euphemism. I wonder if I can answer that either. I, I, I know this for sure from my own personal experience, that sometimes it seems as if we are being thought rather than we are thinking. What I mean by that is how, a rhetorical question, how many times has something come into your mind? It's like, well, where the heck did that come from? Or once you get on, let's say once you have a negative or a fear thought, they pile on. It's like a big pile on. Okay, and then the next one comes. And then you, and if you pay attention to it, then the next one comes. And it keeps coming. And before you know it, something really simple got really complicated. I, I wonder how much of us, if we're just like antennas, and as all of this information is flying through the cosmos, it hits our antenna. And then it's like, wow, I don't, I don't know. So, I mean, is every thought purposeful? No, because they're subconscious thoughts that are, they say, what, you repeat 60,000 of them? I don't know if that was the right number. But you have the same thoughts almost every day, and then you're repeating them constantly unless you, you know, do something different or make an effort. So, you know, a thought is what, at its purest level, a form of energy moving through our system because we're not just a body, we're an aura, a consciousness, an energy field. And so our field's exposed to the field at large. And so sometimes I think thoughts come right out of thin air and into our heads. And they certainly come from spirit, from the highest source in the universe, because that's how everything gets built. I mean, a bridge doesn't show up one day. It started as some guy saying, well, you got to have a bridge. You know, or or a car that you know runs on electronics. I mean, got runs on a battery instead of a, uh, a, a you know a gas engine. These kind of things. Um, so I guess it's not a really a great answer, but it's like thoughts are done unto us, and we have them, and they come from you know any number of different sources, I suppose. But they're real for sure because we have them all day long. Very interesting the way you say. I never heard that before. We're being thought. There's something creating us. Thoughts create us. Interesting. So what is the spirit? What is the soul? I think it's like a kid going to an amusement park, going, hey, if we go to Earth, man, we can have <laughs> our awareness shut off and we can get put into these, you know, heavy forms Something. of protoplasm, right? Yeah. And we can feel and we can we can theorize when when soul is in you know soul is soul in the spirit world so there is no form and that soul says god i wonder what it would really feel like to have a nice beer or uh um you know um uh, ice cream or or to have the touch of another or you know whatever to see the, a beautiful sunset in person and not in in a, in the mind as a concept and not in that or in i don't know i guess 
guess the soul is just an experiencer. Stuart Wilde, I just loved his work. He died six years ago, and I actually cried the day he died because I loved his work. He was irreverent. He was disrespectful of the mainstream, you know, new age spirituality. He, he was his own man, and he could be really offensive to some people. If you didn't read all his stuff and read excerpts of it, sometimes people could get really mad at him. But but Stewie, Stewie once uh, said in one of his books that, you know, like money, or, and it's all about buying experiences, Life is about experiences. It's not about collecting stuff and showing things off to people, although that's a part of experience to the soul. But the idea that your soul gets universal mileage on its odometer when you break out a pattern and you do something new and that gives you this whole initial original experience that the soul perhaps hasn't had before. So I, I think souls drives everything, of course, but we as the brain, we don't get to see the big picture. And recently I've said to my wife, I said, you know, it doesn't seem fair sometimes that we're so veiled because it's like we're marionettes almost and souls going, yeah, yeah, cool. We get to experience this pain in our foot. It's like, wow, oh, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Want to let me in on the blueprint perhaps, or at least the, the map for God's sake? But uh, yeah, it's heavy stuff, man. You know, and the more you evaluate these things, the more you get to the humility. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know? So true. I, I don't know. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's possible to become fully aware in this lifetime? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, do I think it's a lot of people? No. Uh, do I think it's me? Probably not. I don't know. I just, my buddy, I have a friend, because of, we take many trips over the years, we've been in Europe a lot, um, and we've met all kinds of really cool people. One of them is a Greek waiter named Elias, uh, <laughs> who lives in Austria now. But Elias is one of the deepest people I'll ever, I'll, you know, I've ever met. You know, he sends me these really cool video links on YouTube and stuff. And and I think there was one I watched yesterday, which was so deep, I kind of got lost in it, actually. But I do think there are there was a guy, and I don't remember his name now, I'd have to go back to the link, but not a guy, there's probably numerous who figured out and become that aware. But I wouldn't say it's a large volume, but I think it's certainly possible, yeah. Right. Do you know of anyone, like, or do you know for sure that there is somebody on earth that's fully realized or aware? No. <laughs> I just know I just know people who have walked the path a long time and and do their best every day. And I think that's what in the four agreements by Ruiz he talks about, you know, the fourth agreement is really okay, do your best. You know, it's like that that idea of you can't adopt this idea that you have to become perfect and that you can't make spiritual growth like an end point goal as much as it's just a process on a day to day basis and doing the best that you can. And you're going to have every single day opportunities to malign yourself for how you didn't do what you could have done. But again, in any given moment, I think everybody just and this is the thing about compassion enters in too, because it's like that idea from Plato that, you know, be kind for everyone's fighting a hard battle. When you look out at the world, the more you can just, you know, be that compassionate and, and realize that everyone's just doing their best. People that treat you like 
garbage at the gas station or something. You know, that's their day in that moment. It has nothing to do with you. So how do you return that? Do you return that with the same energy or do you, you know, detach completely? You know, it's all, I, I had a friend once say to me that every interaction, even the minor ones, is a moment of truth. Are you going to choose the high road, so to speak, or the, or the, you know, the, the low vibration or the high vibration? Everything, every interaction, opening a door for someone, smiling at them when you're walking through it. You know, I mean, these are the opportunities we have every day to raise our vibration, to contribute something good, because we're only here for that parentheses in time, right? Right. Hmm. Yeah. That kind of brings me to something that you wrote that I read in your book, Accepting Responsibility Negates Anger. Is that connected with what you said now? Yeah, I mean, I think if I, I'd have to open the book and look at it, but I think basically the essence of that was that when, okay, I, I know what, I'll give you one of my favorite quotes from A Course in Miracle, which, another one, which is, um, somebody sent this to me in like the mid-90s or something. I, I am responsible for what I see. I choose all of the feelings I experience and I decide upon the goals I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. That's the ultimate in responsibility. That says, and, and another sidebar to the course where it says, you know, your misery is a strange testament to your power, meaning how miserable your life is shows how great a creator you are in the negative. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Right. Right. You know? I mean, I think, so going back to the anger, is anger justified at times uh, in, in interpersonal reactions? Um, yeah, certainly anybody can make that case. What I'm saying, though, is, is in, in the book, I believe, and I haven't looked at it for years, but it would be that when you take responsibility for yourself, I guess the real conclusion I'm going to draw to, or the, the statement I want to make is that blame is always, always a powerless activity. I mean, it just, you know, blame, I don't think Brian Tracy once said, blame looks backward, responsibility is today. When you take responsibility for your life, gone are the days where I say something like, Valeria, you made me so unhappy. No, 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 no. No one made you unhappy because that suggests that you're a marionette on a string. You're like a monkey, you pull its little tail and it squeaks or whatever, you know? No, power real personal power, I'm on a roll here, sorry, is is when you take that responsibility and it's not self-incrimination. It's not like, oh, I'm such a such a bad person because I mean, no, it's just saying I'm responsible. I'm responsible in this moment for how I process what's happening. At some level, I brought this in this exchange to me, this interaction, this negativity is all part of a lesson I'm supposed to learn. What's the lesson? The more you can get that gap before you react and say, you know, I'm responsible. Yeah, okay. But not, you know, in the moment you're talking to somebody, but just, you know, just take a, a breath, take a pause and, ah, okay, all right. Diffuse the energy. You can't get mad at someone who's a messenger to you. Universe is in perfect balance. Again, no one just shows up to give you I don't want to swear blank, okay? You know, it's all part of this tapestry of life that we're interacting with each other like this moment we're having this really nice conversation. It's all purposeful. And so therefore, awareness of that is just so key, man, you know? 
Be responsible. Don't blame anybody. Oh, the government. You know, it's like I love, I just loathe the political commercials. Political commercials. We're going to fight for you. It's like, really? You're going to fight for me? You really care about me? Now I'm giving my power away to you. And don't give me, don't get me started because I have a thing with social media. I have a thing with social media, perhaps we can talk about on some other occasion, which I just find it to be so you know, herd mentality, no individuality, no, almost no awareness, deferring authority constantly. What does the group think? No, we're one. We're all one. But groups, <laughs> but looking outside yourself for a, for authority and for, you know, endorsement doesn't bring it, right? It doesn't. What they think of you doesn't matter. What's the, the book I think was called What They Think, What You Think of Me Doesn't Matter or something like that. I don't know. I, I was a, an author. I can't remember her name, but, you know, it's on what you think of me is none of my business, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's. That's yeah. that's big, yeah. I like that taking responsibility um, for what happens to us and um, kind of being aware enough to see the lesson when it's negative and when it's positive, just being grateful and embracing that full force and you know, with joy. And also, um, I like I practice the idea of accepting the things that I cannot change because I think that's a lot of where unnecessary suffering comes from by not accepting reality, other people the way they are at this moment, because they will probably change one day, but um, maybe they're not ready. So being compassionate helps a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, totally. But again, I mean, we go on back and forth on this subject of, but it takes awareness and it takes, it takes self-forgiveness too, because you're going to have those times where you, you fail. You say something you didn't mean. So then you just, you know, try again tomorrow, do your best because like it or not, you know, we may be God consciousness incarnate, but we're still living in human bodies with minds that compartmentalize things and programs that run in our subconscious that we're not even aware of. And we're going to have those days or those experiences where a trigger's hit. And in the end, again, you just do the best you can. Beautiful. What is self-love to you? <laughs> it, it, it's this idea that the only person who ever really knows you is you. This is what you got. And everybody's curriculum, the Course of Miracles says that everyone's curriculum is unique to themselves. Okay. So you're born with a certain body, this, that, that, you know, all of us have this. Now, I don't think it's innate. I think it's taught very early on. And maybe it comes in if there is past lives, it comes in in the energy field with the past life that this idea of we're just not good enough. We're not good enough. You know, I'm too fat. I'm too this. I'm, you know, self love is, is the kind of caring that you, the same compassion you would give to somebody else when they make a mistake and forgive them is what you have to do with yourself, despite your high and mighty judgments that you should have done better. Because if you should have done better, you would have done better. And so now you go back to that old thing, try again tomorrow. You love yourself in ways so you take care of yourself. You know, for example, I mean, when it comes to food, that that's an active decision about, you know, self-love isn't just honoring your pleasure right but but it's also you know honoring what's good for you making choices for your body that's a sign of self-love you know would i like for example no indictment of anybody going to wendy's but would i be there no <laughs> uh will i go you know i mean the last since the mid 80s i've pretty much ate you know really high quality food most of the time organics weren't now these days for sure uh, that's a form of self-love, taking care of the body, exercise, 
Um, even little things. I, I have a little mini trampoline. I, I use it every night for 20 minutes. Oh my God. I have one too. And I love that so much fun. <laughs> Well, have you ever, I'm assuming you're, you know, you're, you're very smart and, oh, and very that. learned. I mean, do the research on health benefits of rebounding. Oh, yeah. It's enormous. I already did. And I feel great. Oh, boy. So, yeah. I mean, these, that self-love is even when you hate yourself in a given moment for a decision you made that you realize, you know, I think somebody said to me once, just look in the mirror and say, hey, man, we're doing our best. Okay. I mean, we're doing our best. That's all we can do, right? We're doing our best. A few more questions. What is to be in the present moment? Well, f for me, most of my life before I turned 40 was always in the future. It's, it's constantly reminding myself to take a conscious breath. It's looking out this window, and I work in this office, and, and seeing the yard and, and seeing, like, some, just while we were talking, a cardinal's in this uh, lilac bush building a nest, which is very cool. Um, it's these kind of things that will remind you. I guess I heard once that the way to be present is to come back to the body because only the mind can, the mind is always traveling backwards and forward. It doesn't like the present because it wants to get someplace and it regrets what it did in the past. But if you want to be present, it's about really fully being in the body. And that means doing something as simple as, you know, like pinching yourself for God's sake, you know? reminding yourself now. And it's difficult because we're in a world filled with programming and the media that's always about something in the future or reminding us about something in the past that didn't go well. But generally it's about, well, if you don't do this, this could happen. It's like, oh God. So much distractions, right, for the mind. Yeah, we have plenty of that. Oh, yeah. And, and believe me, I don't have it solved. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, we just plug along every day, right? So um, I know that there are past memories and future memories. Are there also dream memories? I would imagine, but I can't speak to that. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, again, because we don't, we know so little of the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't doubt it. I'm not a good dreamer, though. Honestly, I don't remember them at all. So I'm, I'm not in a strong position to comment too yeah, much. Yeah, this is an interesting subject. I wanted to talk to other people about it. Like they say that dreams tell us something that we could not really get it while awake. Well, there's a book on the shelf here. Let me just roll over to it. I think it's called this. I read this book. It's very good. It's called Dreams 123 by uh, J.M. DeBoard, D-E-B-O-R-D. And uh, it's it's really cool. I mean, I think this is a good, it's not like a, uh, how long is it? It's like 200 pages. A lot of good stuff in there. I can't quote it off the hand, but I mean, I just, I always remember that book when people ask me about dreams, that that's a good source. Thank you, Jeff. And my last, last questions, I think, will be about two or three, perhaps four. If life had one purpose for us, one purpose only, what would that be? Well, I mean, I think, okay, since we all, we have these beliefs and we have these experiences and so we develop our own philosophies. Over the years, I mean, I really think that the conversations with God work by Walsh was, a lot of it was really good. Um, some of it was, you know, the first book was really the best. Uh, and another one called Friendship with God. I mean, I really do think that the whole purpose of life is to experience the pure joy and the miracle of being here. I remember Dyer once saying something to the effect of, okay, so I don't know that I like the context of the race. But the fact is, is that, you know, the chances of you being born are like ridiculously high, right? You know, the odds of all of the possibilities that could have happened that created that 
you know, fertilization of that egg, you know, you got to be here. And I think the purpose of life then, is, you know, a couple multiple purposes, you know, enjoy this miracle that you have just to be alive every day. And then, you know, tying into the Walsh reference, this idea of remembering who you really are. You that is the kind of the purpose is to discover in the end and come back to square one that you are a, you know, you are a, I don't know what a, a spark of the divine experiencing life in this dimension through this body. And it's, it again, it's just a miracle. I mean, I wrote about this in the book, the first book. I think it was the third chapter, maybe. This concept of what a miracle your body is, for God's sake. I mean, think about it. Think, just ponder it for a moment. You know, you put something in your mouth and it makes flesh somewhere. I mean, and you have nothing to do with it. Come on. I mean, realizing the miracle of life itself, the purpose of life is to, is, for me is to remember who I really am and 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 to be grateful for the chance to be here because there's a few thousand people, maybe a few million during the context of this conversation that are no longer in this world anymore. You know, it's easy for us in the third in the in the first world to have these kind of conversations because we're not in the Sudan starving and needing a drink of water. So purpose in the end is to I still think is the same across the board to look for the good to look for the joy in it, because there's always going to be joy enveloped even within the sadness, right? And that um, leads me to my next question to you. How do you define success? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, I'm reacting instinctively. <laughs> what do you say these I like that. It is such an, in, it's subject to interpretation, because people could make the point that based upon whose standard that this woman that served in this incarnation, their last incarnation as Mother Teresa was a complete failure. She didn't have a big house. She didn't have blah, blah, blah. She didn't have, but she helped, you know, thousands and thousands of people, right? So I don't know. I think it's personally determined. I mean, Anthony DeMello, who again, I've referenced a few times in this conversation, in his book, Awareness, he, he has a, in fact, it's the most important thing I think I ever heard in my life to this day. And he had a, a four-minute segment on this uh, Wake Up to Life was the name of the, at, at the time it was a cassette series because there were no, there were no uh, CDs yet. But in Wake Up to Life, DeMello has about a four, about, about four and a half minute. What does it mean to be a success? And I'll tell you what I'll do. It's not in the context of the answers. Other than I'll send it, I'll send you the link to listen to what because I recorded it and actually put it on a hidden page on my website. Mm, I like him a lot. I have his books, some of his books. You know what does it mean to be a success? I mean, it's it's powerful what he says. In the end, it's self-defined. It's not other-defined. What is a successful life? How does one really know for sure? And then if you're a billionaire and you're, if you're Bill Gates, for example, are you a success? Well, to just about everybody in the world, he is. To me, I don't, I don't really have an opinion one way or another whether he's a success. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me what he's done or did. And I, I don't care. But everybody's unique and different. I mean, I have a weird life. Most people would consider my life to be really weird. What Am I success or failure? I don't know. I mean, it's subject to determination, to interpretation. But I mean, certainly I would say this for sure. You're a success when you wake up and you know within yourself that you have the life that you want to live or that you have a life that's close to that. And no matter what anybody says, doesn't matter because it doesn't. Also, having money or fame, it would not change that, right? Whatever it feels to you. 
Well, I mean, look at the fame thing. I, I find it fascinating because, I mean, I might be chronologically old by the society's definition because I'm in my sixth decade. But I look at just, and it's not just the younger generation of today. There's more than one of those generations. But this idea that if you get your name in somewhere or your picture or you're on Jimmy Kimmel or something, you know, that's a success or that, that makes you valuable or something like that. If fame was that important and that fulfilling, how do you explain all of the people who have become, as the world defines them, really successful and yet have had substance abuse and, and other huge problems in their lives, yes. right? Oh, yeah. And it's no indictment of them at all. I mean, think about it this way. The person who is successful, you know, and has all that pressure. Let's say you have this gift. You have this like incredible gift that you don't even know where it came from because it came from spirit, came from God. And when you do it, it's just easy for you, and people love your work. Now you you do that. We, let's not. I won't put an actor's name out. But you know, maybe I will. Okay, Robert Downey Jr. Okay, almost killed himself, right? Because I mean, of of of, of his setbacks. And why I have a theory about that. It's because this Debbie Ford's shadow work concept of there was a part of him that looked out at the world with this great acting skill, and he is a great actor, okay? He's a wonderful actor. And there's a part of him, he gets all this adulation, all this attention. But inside, in his little subconscious mind, there's somebody that's saying, I don't love myself. Why do they love me so much? I can't stand this. I have to self-sabotage in some way. Now, he's not consciously thinking those thoughts, but there's an incongruence there. And that's the danger, in, in, I think, one of the dangers in today's world is this addiction to this idea of fame. What does it matter? You got on TV, your picture's going to be in the paper, or you'll be on TV episodes even when you're dead. But guess what? You'll still be dead. What does it matter? God, I just get fired <laughs> up about that because, right. you know, it, it's like it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're expressing the God within you and doing the best you can. And maybe your fame is getting the smiles on the faces of the people you interact with every day. You're famous to them. Now, if you should come to fame as the world defines it, then the important thing is to be grounded and to respect the fact that a force higher than you created the situation and moved through you to be in it. So be grateful and not and humble about it all the time and reach out to try and help others to get the life, to help them in achieving the life that they want, you know? What is to be strong? Is that different from a perspective of a man and a woman? You guessed some really good questions. I think strength is is subject to interpretation too, because people can put on airs of strength and be just terrified inside. I mean, I think actors are really a classic example of that, is that they, a lot of them are actually introverts, and then they get hoisted into this life. And I think the greatest strength in life is to be authentically you. It's not the, although it's a good thing, the fittest body, the, the this, the that, it's, it's to be authentically you and not have to make excuses about anything, right? If you knew that you would die soon, meaning losing the body, Would you change anything or do anything differently? Than I'm doing today or that I did in the past. <laughs> Maybe already doing something different now than you did in the past. 
You know what? I think I would be less afraid. I don't know if that's a good answer. I have a good, I have a nice life. Um, nobody's life, well, I don't know, who knows about anybody else. Could mine have been something different? Apparently not, because <laughs> it's because it's not. But um, I don't know. I think I would just be, I would be better at being present because it's one of the things I work at, but I struggle with every day. What is your idea of being fearless? It's an idea. <laughs> it's just an idea. <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, I can't say that I am that, so I can't speak from any you know, authentic perspective. Any ideas? No ideas of what, what is to be fearless? Well, I mean, I think the more you take away outside authority, the more fearless you can become because who cares at that point, right? So fearless is when it's all coming from within and you're not looking at anyone outside you to externalize anything, they're approving or they're this or they're that. You can become more fearless. And also when you come to, an, and then this is a difficult one, because even if you're not afraid of death, you know, it's always there. Yes, it's true. And so fear for me, someone asked me about this, this woman that's been working with me, a, homeopath, a homeopathic practitioner asked me about this, you know, this, this idea of, you know, what's your greatest fear? And I said, not completing my mission that I don't know what it is, you know, <laughs> you know that, the, that the soul sent, whatever. I want the soul to get the mission accomplished banner, you know, but actually be accomplished. And she said, do you have any fear of death? It's like, well, no. I don't because I don't conceptualize it as being some kind of hell of brimstone or, you know, and I don't and I don't actually think about the other side of it either of being some what what is paradise? That's all in somebody's mind. I mean, I, I think Wayne Dyer once I, I just want to share this Wayne Dyer on an audio once I heard him say, OK, so you hear this this whole thing. OK, so he's, you know. Uncle Tom died. He's up there with Uncle Harry and they're playing cards. And he said, so think about you, the you you are today. And think about, so now I'm going to go someplace that I'm going to be at for eternity. Now think of that in that content and you say, wait a minute, you're going to get really <laughs> bored, right? So the whole idea of wanting to get somewhere or achieve that, you know, whatever you want, heaven or something, I don't know. I think it all comes back down to me that life is here and now and that's it. And I'm not saying there's not an afterlife. I'm just saying we don't know enough to know. So why not appreciate, you know, it's like DeMello said one time, you know, most people, he's got Indian accent, most people are so worried about the afterlife that they forget to live this life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So true. <laughs> and I'm sure you know people yeah, like great. that, you know. We're, 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 we're going to make sure because, or, or what, you're going to be in the fires of hell or something. It's like, well, then at least you'll have a bunch of friends with you, I, you know, whatever. I don't know. Do you have any wishes for um, some kind of life after death? You know, no, I don't really. I mean, I think I've kind of cured myself of that. I don't know. I think in some sense, I don't look to it like, oh, I want to leave tomorrow or something. I, I think it'll be, Stewie Wilde used, used the term metaphysical scamp. He was a metaphysical scamp. I think the scamp in me would just like to get into that side to figure out, you know, to go, ah, that's what was really happening. You know, my, my friend Renee, who uh, she died about nine years ago. She's a lot older than me. She could have been my mother. And uh, she said to me one time, honey, when you die and get across to the other side, you're going to kick yourself in the butt every time you made yourself unhappy about something that didn't really matter. Wow, that's powerful. My last, last question. What are three things about life you know for sure? 
Okay, for me personally, that it's it's just a tremendous gift, one, that it has its own course and that I, it's that old adage of tell God's what, uh, make God laugh, tell God your plans, that life has a course that it's, it's moving through at all times. And I need a third one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll be good. (laughs) That, okay. That for me, for sure, since you can't predict the future really, and knowing doesn't necessarily make it, make life any better because it could be bad news that life is present moment. Life is now. That would be the third thing for sure. It's now. It's not then because I think I wrote about it in the book. Present moment awareness means you go back in time and what are you doing? You're just floating concepts. You're floating memories. You're not. You're time traveling backwards. And in the future thought, which we all do, future thought. What are we going to do? What are you know goals, etc. We're just you know kind of making stuff up. But or be curious because we're afraid. Most people want to know the future because they're afraid. Yeah, there's fear there. That's correct. So to me, it would be definitely that I know for sure that life is now and everything else is a mental construct. It has been spiritual, fun conversation, Jeff. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's to me, these are the essence of life. These kind of conversations when we're we have a place we go to in Europe where we have good friends and we sit around and we have these kind of conversations with people. And it's just uplifting and it really speaks to the concept that we're all just doing the best we can to get through on any given day and create the lives, you know, consciously or unconsciously that we get. So it's, you know, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to have met you and to have this time with you. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, future projects? I think the best place to go, as I mentioned earlier, I have a website, www.pondercentral.com, and it's basically it's a free site for an inspirational message that gets delivered by email. It's a quote from one of the books I have on the shelf here. And I've been doing this since 1999, so 20 years. And it's basically, it's uplifting stuff. It's thought-provoking stuff. It's from all kinds of authors across. There's over 3,000 posts on that site. And uh, at that site, you can also, there's links to, you know, Spirituality Simplified, my first book, and Cody's Journey, my second book. And so that, that's, that would be if people were interested, they could go there. Thank you so much again. Oh, you're welcome. Bye for now, Jeff. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jeff Maziarek, please visit his website, poundercenter.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>